Hi everyone and welcome back to the Making Milestones podcast. I thought it would be fun to kind of do a podcast to talk a little bit about the Shauna Karish clinic that I was just at this past weekend as well as talking about um, what I view to be an important topic and just kind of the idea of like changing your horsemanship as you grow and how to kind of reckon with mistakes you may have made in the past as you become a different horse person and may not be as accepting of stuff that you would have justified in the earlier years of your horse experience. I think that's a super important topic because that is one of the challenges a lot of people go through and I think that's also one of the main reasons why people are reactionary and defensive towards the idea of trying alternative methods of training or when information comes out that makes them question the way in which they train. It can be really hard to juggle those emotions and I just kind of wanted to share my experience as well as be honest about some of the stuff that I feel really guilty about still from doing in the past but um, I guess kind of just reiterate the fact that like everyone starts somewhere and the role models you have in the early years of your riding as you're learning about horses really shape the type of horse person that you are. So it can be hard to move past that if you didn't have good role models and if you saw a lot of bad unacceptable stuff be normalized and then also partook in it because that's what you were taught to do. It can be really hard to let go of that as you start to kind of go a different way in training and yeah that that it is an emotionally challenging thing to kind of reckon with and deal with but I wanted to share my experience especially following this clinic because Honestly, attending the clinic and talking to Shauna and being able to ask questions and see her opinions on things, it really helps clarify like my stance um, in the horse world and that I'm on the right track in terms of my horsemanship. And it helps me kind of let go of a little bit of like the resentment I held towards myself and my misgivings with like stuff that I've done in the past and like mistakes that I've made. And I also had like a therapy session um after the clinic and I talked to my therapist a little bit about it and she said something that really kind of struck a chord with me and made me completely reevaluate like my own personal trauma and a lot of the stuff that I've struggled with letting go and kind of forgiving myself for so I figured it might be a good topic to discuss in case anyone has been experiencing similar feelings and kind of needs to hear that they're not alone in this so it's not really like a specific topic. It's going to kind of just go like my most of my podcasts do where it's kind of stream of consciousness. Me just talking and sharing my feelings and thoughts on things and hopefully people listening and resonating with it to some degree. Um, and also I did post a vlog of the entire Shauna clinic. So for anyone who wants to go watch that first, you can. And I've included some sound bites of her talking about certain things and answering people's questions along with all of the work that me and Banksy did with her during that clinic. So you can check that out on my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Shelby Dennis. And it's the most recent video I uploaded. It's just called My Young Horse's First Off-Property Adventure, Shauna Karish Clinic. Uh, it should just be right there when you find it. It's a long video. I included like all of the stuff that I filmed throughout the two days of the whole weekend. Um, so yeah, it's a longer vlog, but I think there's a lot of good stuff in it. And I think it's a really good example of Shauna's work and how the way in which she trains helps horses relax because this was Banksy's first time off property in like a show-like environment and I use that term because there was like 40 plus people there watching like there's lots of auditors and the facility we were at was a massive facility so there's tons and tons of different horses and he's never really been put in a situation like that where he's around tons and tons of 
bustle and different horses and it was very distracting for him and it was also anxiety inducing for him so to see him by the second day of the clinic be able to go and be like loose at liberty in the arena and not be going careening around or spooking and having him stay with me even if he did get distracted way more than he typically would at home that was a really huge win for me and I was really proud of his ability to handle it because honestly I really didn't know what to expect it's a pretty big trip for a youngster especially as their first time off property and it was it was something that I went into not really with any expectations because he could have been really stressed and washed out the entire weekend and not have handled it as well as he did but I was happy to see how well he did handle it because it means that he was set up for success and that it was an overall good experience for him. I also want to add that like in addition to the environment of the clinic being different for him we had to drive about two hours to get there and that's the longest trailer ride he's ever had and it kind of extended a little bit past two hours especially on the way there because there was some bumps in the road um including like I had to park the horse trailer and like leave and go um check my car insurance because I got a call that said that they'd only insured it for six months which meant that it would expire while we were in the states and I was like shit so I had to literally like park the trailer borrow Janie's car drive to the city and get my insurance done and then come back and the horses were already loaded so they had to wait in the trailer during that time and then they also had to wait again at the border which wasn't very long because we got through quite quickly and then once you're across the border it's like an hour and 40 minutes to get to Polestar farms so it was quite the trip and um with that in mind like obviously being in a trailer for two hours isn't like any horse's idea of like a good time so I was also really happy with how well he loaded in the trailer for going home because he would have had a perfectly valid reason to be like hmm maybe not like I might not want to do that because it wasn't particularly fun on the way here uh but he just popped right in and he was great so I was really proud of him for all of that and yeah talking to Shauna honestly she's just like a really amazing person like just through and through like it's not even just her expertise with like the animal behavior and the horse training like she's just a really good kind solid amazing person and I think everyone if you ever get the chance to go and listen to her even if you're just auditing you'll get a lot out of the clinic and if you ever get the chance to talk to her one-on-one she's like incredible I highly recommend her to everyone I have never attended a clinic that has made me feel like so like emotional and like just good about myself like the entire environment at that clinic was very accepting and kind and everyone was super supportive and just like lovely human beings and I like I've I haven't felt that level of like ease like especially when you're like performing in front of like 40 people watching you um I usually have way more anxiety going to shows and clinics because I do worry about like the level of judgment and the toxicity that I've seen in the horse world but this clinic like the entire environment was so much different than anything else I've ever experienced especially since I haven't really shown in like two years or gone to any clinics in quite some time because of the pandemic and stuff and the environment of this clinic and just the general energy it was completely different than anything I've ever experienced and I attribute that to like Shauna and like the warm welcoming environment she sets up but I also attribute it to like the methodology behind the way she trains and how most of the people going there like even if they're not practicing much positive reinforcement in their training yet they're going there because they want to learn how to do things in a different more empathetic way and I think that their behavior towards humans is also reflective of that because 
it was just so dramatically different from any like equine environment I've been in before that like I don't think it's just a coincidence I think it is directly tied to the type of clinic it was and the person we were all going to see it made for a very positive welcoming and empathetic environment where people were just like everyone was helping each other and just like being super supportive and kind whether they had their own horses there or they were auditors like everyone there was just amazing and yeah, that, that's kind of what got me into thinking about the correlation between, like, positive reinforcement and, like, positive mental health and positive, like, self-esteem and, like, self-perception and just a better ability to, like, control your emotions and handle things in a more productive way. And um, seeing the general mindset of everyone at that clinic kind of reiterated it for me. Because, like, for me personally, like, as I've started to shift, like, my training methodology and become, like, kinder and more empathetic and softer and more patient with horses, it has positively impacted my mental health. And even though, like, my life hasn't really gotten easier as I've aged, there's still been lots of challenges that test me and that are difficult. Um, The way that I handle it has improved so dramatically that even though stuff has gotten tougher, I've handled it a lot better. And it has resulted in a far more positive self-image of myself and I've been more confident in myself and I've liked myself better and I've also been more able to deal with like human to human interactions along with like handling horses better and I think that though like looking at things through like a positive lens instead of like looking at faults to like punish or want to train away or fixating on what's going wrong in training trying to fixate on what's going right and reward and reinforce that I think it changes how you feel about yourself as a result and the training is also really reinforcing to people so I think that it just reinforces those types of kind empathetic behaviors and wanting to like understand the motivation behind a behavior in both horses and humans or any other animals you might work with learning about like behavior from like a scientific standpoint and realizing that behavior serves a purpose and there's an underlying motivation behind every behavior that kind of shifts your perspective on a lot of things because then even when people are being cruel to you you can go there has to be a motivation for this. Like either this person's projecting their own insecurities onto me or they're unhappy with their life and they're lashing out as a result or like their management and date, like their care of themselves is not where it needs to be and they're over threshold all all the time and reacting as a result. And it makes it a lot easier to cope with people being unkind to you or insulting you or like trying to put down your training or your horses or your methods. You start to realize that it's coming from a place. Um... And then it feels like less of a personal attack and you're less likely to go, oh, this is directly because of me and about me. And the other interesting thing is just the general, like with my horses, obviously it's improved the relationship between me and my horses and I've been way safer. Like honestly, the amount of flight behaviors that I see that are actually dangerous and result in me like falling off or getting run over or possibly getting kicked on the ground or any, any type of dangerous situation that has reduced dramatically. I don't see the same problems that I do because I'm not putting horses into situations where they're going massively over threshold and reacting. And obviously mistakes can still be made because no human can completely control the environment, 
but shifting my mindset for training has made me abundantly safer and it's also made my horses like me more. I've gone from having horses who sometimes would not want to let me catch them to having like all of my horses be excited to see me. They'll come when I call them and even client horses that I've had for like under a month. Within like a matter of days, they're trotting and cantering to greet me at the gate when they see me and all I have to do is call for them. Like, the horses here are turned out and some of them are in fairly large fields and before I would have to walk all the way to the end of the field to catch them. Now I can literally just wait at the gate and they will come to me because being around me is that reinforcing and they actually like me and it's not like they're dreading their sessions with me anymore. And in turn, I think that also makes me feel better about myself as a trainer. It makes training more enjoyable because both you and the horse are enjoying it and you don't have to feel like you're trying to like force them into doing things and you're not fighting with them as much and it lowers frustration and like general anger. Whereas like when I was training in a more traditional way, especially like the way I started out training, like I said, I've talked about this like a little bit in different podcasts, but like the trainer that was like my role model from a very young age for like a long time, like I was training under her for like at least eight years she modeled behaviors to me that were not okay and taught me as a child to do things like seesawing the mouth or like hitting horses for biting or kneeing them in the stomach if they bloat for doing the girth and she would also do things like my arab when he was too heavy in my hands at a show she tied him to his girth in a kimberwick where he was like so overbent and hyperflexed and rolker and she left him like that in the stall for an hour to the point where like after after the words he was like literally trembling like his muscles were convulsing because they were so overbent and overworked for such a long period of time and she like it didn't teach him shit it taught him nothing at all and it was just cruelty um and trying to do like a quick fix lazy training method and these were the types of things that I had modeled to me from a young age and it impacted how I handled horses and how I handled my own frustration around them because I always was seeing her take out her frustration on the horses and punish them for a lot of things rather than actually addressing the underlying cause of the behavior like it was never taught to me to like hey like you should start to like question what the motivation for this behavior is instead of just working to suppress it that entire concept was never taught to me and I also wasn't really taught like like I was taught how to do things but I wasn't really taught like why I was doing those things and so like it resulted in me being super defensive anytime anyone questioned my training methodology, especially as social media started to grow and, like, I was interacting with more horse people. And when I saw, like, how other people trained horses and learned more about that, like, I started to see more and more holes in what she had taught me and it made me uncomfortable. So initially I became, like, really reactionary and defensive. And also, like, if I hit a spot in training where the horse was giving me a hard time and I didn't know what to do, I was way more likely to take that out on the horse and get frustrated with them and get mad at them and just, like, punish the horse and just be mean to the horse because of my own shortcomings as a trainer and my lack of ability to properly address the problem because I hadn't been taught to. And one of the things I've really struggled with, like, as my mindset has shifted is, like, underlying guilt for, like, things that I used to do to horses and, like, how angry I would get with them and how I'd punish them and how unclear training was to them and, like, the shortcuts I would take with, like, draw reins or certain harsh bits and training gadgets. I experienced a lot of guilt for that because now I can recognize, like, how wrong that was and that it wasn't facilitating teaching my horses anything. 
And it, in fact, was damaging my relationship with them and their perception of me. On top of that, the management also wasn't sufficient. A lot of the horses that I worked with growing up, they were stalled for the vast majority of the day and then maybe out in small paddocks. It was super normalized for horses to have like half day turnout and be spending like honestly like 16 hour days in little stalls and even when they went out in the paddocks the paddocks weren't that much bigger than the stalls so it's not like it's like that exciting it's just that they get to go outside um and that was normalized to me and like even seeing stress behaviors I wasn't taught that they were stress behaviors that were resulting from the management I was just taught oh like they're weaving because they're dancing or like they just like doing that when they crib like I wasn't taught the underlying cause of it so it gave me such a skewed perception of things and even like little well I guess not really little things but like little things like teaching horses to clip or like um yeah preparing them for shows it was super normalized to just use a twitch on them like we didn't sedate them they would just twitch them I never really learned like how a twitch worked and like how much pain it caused they were just like oh it doesn't hurt them and like it makes them feel happy it releases endorphins I don't even think they said it releases endorphins they just kind of like shrugged it off and I was like oh this helps they're they just get really calm when you put this on and like I so I was never taught like an alternative method of like actually getting a horse okay with clippers it was just kind of like force them to deal with it and shank them and get mad if they don't or twitch them and the lack of tools that this gave me as a rider left me like in a state where like I would get yeah I'd get super frustrated when I couldn't figure out how to solve things and like it impacted my ability of problem solving because also like I wasn't actually really taught how to problem solve by a trainer I was just taught to like get mad at the horse if they're being naughty because like the entire notion is like they're they know better they're doing it on purpose and you can't let them get away with it because they're too big for that that type of thing and I wasn't taught how to like problem solve and like even with like things like as a kid like growing up like I didn't want to use a crop to the extent my trainer might have wanted me to do but the problem was like if I was told to hit the horse with the crop and I didn't I would continue getting yelled at and yelled at and yelled at until I finally hit them or kicked them way harder and then over time you're conditioned to just do it right away otherwise you continue getting berated by your trainer and told that they're like my trainer had even said at some points like oh you're ruining the horse like if you don't do this they're gonna learn bad habits and become dangerous and it'll be your fault basically so then that taught me to like not question things and to just do them and it also taught me to not consider like alternative methods of achieving what I was trying to achieve um, other than punishment and this left me with like very little problem solving skills it literally didn't even cross my mind to use positive reinforcement on horses despite the fact that like with dogs and stuff it was much more commonplace and I also lost my patience with animals way more and I'd get mad at them more and I would do things that weren't nice to them that would scare them and would damage our relationship with each other and it's something that I still feel like really guilty about because there is stuff that I did that was like marketed to me by like professionals and people who were supposed to know what they were doing and um, unfortunately like enough people in the horse world especially back then were doing these things that it seemed like it was normal and it was like hard to find people that didn't train that way like I quite literally cannot think of a single trainer that I'd ever met that even really used positive reinforcement at all like it was all pressure and release and punishment and like the degree of punishment that was normalized was pretty high with that said I never rode at a place where they used stuff like the patience poles or where they would like rope horses and lay them down and do stuff like that. It was very much more so like hitting them with their lead ropes when they were bad and like backing them up like 500 steps as you like yelled at them and swatted the rope at them when they're bad. Um, 
And yeah, like kicking them, using spurs, spanking them with the crop. Like I've watched trainers lay into horses with like lunge whips and like dressage whips to the point where the horses would have welts. And like that never sat right with me as a kid, but it was what was modeled to me constantly. So like also like when I had my Arab and I was riding like outside of lessons, he used to be a bolter and he'd spook all the time and he was like so spooky and bolty all the time when I rode. And he bolted on me a number of times with some of them being like really bad and dangerous. Like when I first got him and I was either eight or nine, he bolted and jumped out of the arena because like we just had like those cement blocks on one side. So it's very easy to jump out. And he went racing around the entire property at a flat gallop to the point where I like eventually just had to turn him into the round pen panels and dive off. And I got whiplash and I was really, really hurt. And it was scary because I couldn't breathe when I got up. And I remember how scared I was and how like upsetting it was for me. And he was so scared too that like when my mom had, my mom got me because I was like a kid. She got me and we went into the barn because I couldn't breathe and she like had me sit down and then my poor horse was so scared that he ran into the barn and there was garage doors at this barn to get in and the door wasn't all the way up and he bashed his head on the door coming in because he was like so scared and nervous. Um, and the reason why he was so spooky and bolty was because the management wasn't sufficient and also like the training that we did stressed him out, but he also wasn't getting enough time outside. He never got group turnout for like 90% of the time that I had him until like I was older and kind of got out of showing on the Arab circuit so it wasn't really fair to ask him to not be like that but then since he was like that he was constantly getting punished for it and just being taught to like suppress these behaviors and then when he couldn't suppress them anymore they would come out in a very dangerous way and as I got older I was more able to hold him back so that bolting didn't become that dangerous but it was a problem that he struggled with a lot uh and it wasn't something that we were ever like, yeah, taught to deal with. And I was never, ever taught to question the management as an underlying cause of the behavior. It was just like, get mad at the horse if they're not doing what they ask type deal. And it caused me to become like a really kind of resentful and like not nice person. And I would take out a lot of my patience on my horses, a lot of my impatience on my horses. And, um, like when my triggers would stack and I would go over threshold, I was much more likely to snap and have a reaction that was like way over the top for like the behavior that I was like punishing or not wanting the horse to exhibit or like when the horse wasn't understanding what I wanted them to do, I'd get way more upset. And like I said, I'd been taught to like do stuff like seesawing with my hands. So when a horse would be too heavy or if he was bolting, I would like rip on his face and I would seesaw. And like I was at that time, I was using bits like Kimberwicks and twisted wire snaffles as well. And I didn't school in the twisted wire snaffle, but I had like an extremely thin twisted wire snaffle that we would show in because it was so thin. It was like a fucking cheese grater um, or like cheese wire knife, basically. And so obviously my horse was a lot softer in it because if he wasn't, it would tear the fucking shit out of his mouth. And yeah, I, I have a lot of like underlying guilt about that because now I can recognize it's wrong. Um, however, like what I wanted to say in this podcast is that like, honestly, a lot of horse people have learned how to do things in a way that is not the best way or that is not kind and not overly effective and actually affecting behavioral change and helping with the underlying cause of behavioral issues. And a lot of us have been taught to do things that aren't fair to horses, or we've been told things about horses that are completely untrue and completely take their behavioral cues out of context or mislabel them altogether. And 
when you're dealing with that much misinformation that is being sold to you by people who are labeling themselves as professionals and as experts, it's really hard to kind of juggle that because you're not being perceived as an expert. And if you try to argue it, you're treated like you're an idiot and that you don't know what you're talking about. So it really takes like finding a community of people that you trust and that are giving you information that you can trust. And unfortunately, it can be really hard to get to that point, especially when you're involved in a community that mocks like positive reinforcement or kind training methods and claims that it makes more dangerous horses or just says that it makes like nippy horses or just like writes it off altogether and never teaches you about it as an option. It's hard to kind of seek out to learn new things when you're never ever given that option. And the other thing is like when you're taught things by people that are perceived as professionals, you just assume that they're correct and you take that with you for years. And when you eventually realize that they're not correct, it can make you feel really guilty and you can be like ashamed of who you were as a horse person and you might want not want to talk about it or bring it up and you might carry a lot of guilt and shame for years. And that's like something that I did. Um, but like... I started riding when I was four years old and all of my role models were modeling that behavior to me and showing me it was okay. So how was I supposed to know different? I was a child and I spent, like I said, like eight plus years under the influence of that trainer. And then when I did move trainers, the trainer I went to was less harsh, but like still used methods that I do not agree with now and that weren't necessarily accurate with like how they would label behavioral issues and whatnot with the horse and there's also still a lot of shortcuts so I had like over a decade of these bad influences and now I'm at the point where like my behavioral mindset has really started to shift and it started like I started to really change it around like 18 years old which is only like eight years ago now um and it was kind of like a slower shift and then started happening way faster as I learned more and it would kind of pick up speed as I learned more and got more confident in my education and where I stood in horse training. But like the fact of the matter is like a good portion of my time with horses, like almost half of the entire time I've spent with horses was under someone that was teaching me stuff completely wrong and that was not fair to the horse. And that was my role models. And it wasn't like it was just my trainer doing this. I saw this behavior reflected to me at shows by other trainers, by riders in my barn, whether they trained with my trainer or not. It was reflected to me again and again by so many horse people that it just reiterated the fact that this is how it's done. There's no other way. And when I was talking to like my therapist about like the guilt that I felt about stuff that I did and like all even with Milo like when I first got Milo I could have like now if I had him now I would handle him completely differently and we probably would have achieved a lot more success with way less fallout behaviors so looking back at how I would have handled things with him makes me kind of upset because I'm just like I could have made it easier for the both of us and I could have given him a better start and I could have helped him out more and helped him through his behavioral problems more without as much trauma and stress. Um, but when I was talking to my therapist about it, she was like, well, you spent like however many years training a certain way and believing it to be correct and being told that it was correct and having people model it to you. And that was like a lot of your time spent with horses. So now you're having to like undo so many years of doing stuff wrong and learning stuff that becomes habits and 
teaches you to respond to things a certain way and having to undo all of that after doing it for years is a lot harder than just learning it correctly from the first place because you're fighting against emotions and reactions that you have been taught to do consistently over a period of time and you're having to learn something completely new and start to like make that habit formed so that it overwhelms what you were taught initially and this means that like you have to work a lot harder to undo habits and like honestly like when I was learning like I lost my patience with Milo so much more than I ever have ever with Banksy like now when I lose my patience with Banksy it just looks like me cursing to myself and being like oh fuck I suck like I'm so bad at this like this is terrible I wish the session went better like I'm screwing up my horse I'm the worst and it becomes a lot more self-deprecating which also isn't the best way of handling things not going well but I don't take it out on the horse whereas like when I hit a wall with Milo I would get mad at him and I wouldn't get like as mad as I had been taught to get with my era but like even yelling and waving my hands and cursing and being mad around him it affected him negatively and like even just like shanking him on the halter and like doing some of the backing up stuff or trying to lunge him for longer and chasing him around when he was bad stuff like that isn't like I wouldn't necessarily call it abusive but it stressed him out and it wasn't effective in actually dealing with the issues that frustrated me um, and also like with his issues at shows and his anxiety at shows, I kind of largely just went about like, oh, we're just going to make him work through this. And I didn't hit him for refusals and I didn't get mad at him by like yanking his face off like I used to, but I tried to push him through stress when I could have handled it differently and encouraged calm behaviors and had way more behavioral change come. And it would have actually really helped his stress if I had handled it differently. So looking back at that and having that realization, it's quite frustrating because it's just like, fuck, I wish I could have done it better from the first time. However, like the way I think everyone needs to view the writing journey is like, even if it takes you a long time to get to like the mindset that helps you really start to affect change in your riding and how you handle horses even if it takes you a long time to get there it's better late than never because I'm sure we all know horse people who are like 60 plus that have done things the same way for their whole life and they stubbornly refuse to believe any science or anything that conflicts with their personal beliefs to the point where they will like literally argue against it and be like oh like scientists don't train horses and they'll make up every excuse in the book to not accept this information and they just dig their heels in and insist, like, I'm a professional, I've done this for a long time, I know what I'm talking about, and basically say that, like, I'm better than everyone, no research can conflict with what I believe. And those are people that are probably never really going to change unless they finally have that epiphany later in life, because they're so scared of admitting that they're wrong. So if you're able to admit that you've done things wrong and start that change and start on that journey at any point, it's better late than never because you're still going to positively influence the lives of horses if you start to soften your methods and learn how to do things differently and like get more patience and start to view behavior differently and don't be so quick to just assume that your horse is doing something intentionally to piss you off. Like it's you got to start to reframe that mindset to go, okay, my horse is struggling with what we are learning. How can I help them deal with this? And it's better to do that late than not at all. And that's kind of what I've been having to repeatedly tell myself because I, yeah, experienced a lot of guilt and shame about like how I used to train horses and not wanting to like really talk about it in fear of people like judging me for like how I would have used to do things. But 
the thing is, like, I'm not the same person now that I was back then. Um, even within, like, the last six years, like, me now versus my early 20s, I'm a completely different person. People who knew me in my early 20s do not know who I am now. I have developed way more emotional control. I've developed way more of an education, and I've been on a journey where I've been learning a lot and talking to lots of people and just, like, extending my horizons and um, becoming stronger willed in like my views and my ability to defend my worth and honor myself and honor my horses and advocate for horses and speak out against things that bother me. I've become a, a completely different person. So I think this is the way that people need to view it is as like years of growth and education and therapy can affect behavioral change. If we're going to give horses like even bad aggressive horses, bad, bad in quotes, like bad in terms of how people would view their reactions. If we're going to view horses as fixable and think that their behavior can change and not hold them to the same standard as what we saw when the horse first came in we also need to do the same for people because we got to give people the chance to grow and change and if we always hold them to the same judgment as we would have had like when they were first starting out it's not fair because there's essentially no reason for people to change if they're always going to be viewed as being the same person that they were when they were doing things wrong there's no incentive to change your ways if people are never going to accept the fact that you have changed and welcome the person you've become so we do need to leave the door open for people who are willing to change and like I totally understand being cautious at first especially if it's someone that you've known to be harsh or that you think is doing it for insincere reasons or whatever it's okay to be cautious but we need to allow people the option to grow and change rather than assuming that they can't otherwise what is the point in trying to reform the horse world because we're doing it with the assumption that everyone is just as bad as the rider or trainer that they were when they were at their worst or the most frustrated so we need to leave the door open for people to change and we need to understand that like if you knew someone several years ago they could very well be a completely different person now than they were then because all it really takes is like one epiphany or an interaction that really makes someone think and reevaluate things like it can be anything and it can really start to shift your mindset and you need to leave the door open for people to do that. And I've gotten like, I've, I'm pretty good at doing that with like other people, but for myself, I still kind of shame myself based off of like stuff that I used to do, but I don't do the stuff that I'm ashamed of anymore. And even when I start to kind of feel the frustration that would have led me down the road of taking out my frustration or anger on the horse before, I'm better at catching myself and stopping it rather than letting it completely escalate and spiral out of control like I would have used to. So I need to acknowledge that and I need to be proud of myself for that change rather than holding myself to the same standard um, when I was a lot less educated and when I wasn't as experienced and when I hadn't had the growth that I've had now. And... We need to do that for everyone because also speaking from experience, like I've had an online presence for a while now, like since I was like 16, so like a decade, there's been a lot of growth that I've seen in that time. Um, even with people who were really, really cruel to me in the beginning and really mean and like for years would comment mean stuff on my posts. Like I remember their names because of how much they would comment and say mean things and they would like literally dedicate so much time just to harassing me and being nasty. And even if they did have some points, like it was just done in such a a nasty way that like I distinctly remember them. I've had several of those types of people come forward years later and apologize for their behavior and say that they'd changed and that they were going through a really hard time and that they took it out on me and that they'd misjudged my character and so on and so forth. And 
seeing that has really changed my perspective on people's ability to change because they were the types of people that were so entrenched in doing what they did that I would have never thought that they'd changed. And I never blocked them because I was like, clearly they need this outlet. And like, I don't know, like I'll let them have it unless it really spirals to the point where they're going to get blocked and it gets quite bad. Like I don't really block people all that readily. I'm more likely to like mute people or soft block them. So they're just not following me. Um, it takes quite a bit for me to block someone and I usually give them a lot of chances. And then when I finally block them, it's like, okay, you've run out of chances. Like recently, like I've, I've had one of these types of people who, again, for years they've posted like, either straight up mean or very passive aggressive comments on my account. Like recently, the person I have in mind, um, they posted on like a video that I did talking about my past mistakes in the Arab circuit and how, like my insight on writing now and like how I feel now and just kind of calling out my mistakes and saying why they were bad and saying what I've changed to do now. And then they're, they, they commented something like, well, are you ever going to address any recent mistakes? And I was like, I literally have in multiple podcasts, multiple posts, um, talking about all sorts of different things. But for this person, me looking back at my bad horsemanship and criticizing it, that wasn't enough to them. They want to just hear me self-deprecate all the time because for whatever reason, what I was saying made them so uncomfortable that they wanted to take it out on me. And this person has commented so many passive aggressive things, mostly on my YouTube, but also on TikTok. And finally, it got to the point where they like posted something pretty misogynistic, I think it was, um, about me as a trainer. And I was just like, okay, you know what, Michelle, you've commented on so many of my things over the last years and you're always passive aggressive. I answer your questions. I have been civil with you, but you're very clearly like projecting onto me passive aggressively and I've quite frankly had enough of it because you don't allow for dialogue. Like they'd comment these mean passive aggressive things and then when I would answer whatever they were saying and respond to it, they would never reply again. And when anyone ever held them accountable for their behavior, they would just poof. So it'd just be a one-off comment but never any accountability or actually responding to what they said. So I was like, you know, we'll block you. Might unblock them in a little bit because it's kind of like giving a child a timeout. <laughs> and yeah, but like I typically give people a lot of chances because I am open to their ability to change. And honestly, like there's been some people who've been like truly cruel to me and like truly terrible to the point like where it's just like, you know, like I wouldn't treat anyone like that. Like the stuff that happened with George where people were blaming me for his death and where they made like fake Twitter accounts to blame me for his death and be like, oh, you shouldn't have taken him to Kentucky. That's why he's dead because he got EPM and it's all your fault and you made him suffer. And like stuff like that, even people like that, if they show me that they have changed and become a better person, I will forgive them and be open to their ability to change. However, since that degree of cruelty is so much higher than other people's cruelty, it would take a lot more for me to accept the fact that they changed. But like I said, I'm open to it. I would just hold them at a distance um, for quite some time or forever, perhaps. But I'm open to considering that they might have changed. It would just take them actually owning up to what they said and did rather than just hitting me up and pretending nothing happened and expecting me to just to forget about it without them acknowledging what they did. But even people like that, I'm open to their ability to change because 
clearly when they reacted that way, they're projecting something onto me. Um, they're using their previous dislike of me either for my writing and training opinions or how I conduct myself online or maybe past interactions that they haven't liked. They're using their dislike of that and they weaponized the death of my horse in an attempt to hurt me and cut me down when it really had no basis on why they disliked me. Um, and honestly, like, even if his death had been my fault to some degree, like, if, if I hadn't maliciously actually sought out to kill my horse, it is not productive to try to be like, oh, well, if you did this differently, he might still be alive, because obviously I've already fucking thought of that, as has anyone who's lost an animal. They don't need to hear it from you. The animal is already dead. There's no point in saying it, because it's not going to bring the animal back, and they can't change what they did. So it's just malicious to do that. Um, but like, I'm able to recognize that their behavior was coming from somewhere and clearly they were hurting in some degree. Um, because also for me, like the way in which I would respond to people when I was like really struggling and when I was being the meanest to horses and when I was like frustrated and like super struggling and like not comfortable in myself, not confident in myself. And I like hated myself. I would kind of overinflate my confidence and get really defensive and reactive because I wasn't confident. And it resulted in me having these responses to people that were often over the top. And like, I could have settled them down and I could have been nicer and I didn't need to respond as reactionary and it also resulted in me perceiving comments that were neutral or even in some cases positive, reading them too quickly and viewing them as negative and then responding in an overly reactive way because of that and it was because of like where I was at my life then. I was under a lot of stress. I wasn't handling the problems of my life as well. I didn't really understand people's underlying motivations for things and I took things extremely personally and it resulted in me reacting in a way that wasn't always good or justified and I could have handled it better. But with that said, at the same time, people who go out of their way to be cruel online, whether it's anonymous or not, they also could conduct themselves better. So it's a two-way street. It's not just my job to handle abusive people and do so in a way that is like calm and nice and dignified because unfortunately, like with my social standing, like I get a lot of comments like that and um, you can't always expect some, you can't keep poking a bear and like harassing someone and then be shocked when they finally bite back. Um, it's a two-way street. Like you got to treat people how you want to be treated. Otherwise, if you go out of your way to antagonize people at some point, you are going to antagonize people and you have to accept some accountability for how they respond to you. So yeah, like that, that's kind of like, like, I think that my mindset has been able to shift in the way it has because of, like, my behavioral knowledge. Because a lot of the behavioral science stuff we learn about animals is very much ap applicable to human psychology to at least some degree. And I've also studied human psychology as well, just to a lesser degree than the animal stuff. And I think all of this stuff has contributed in, in shifting my mindset, making me more able to control my emotions and handle things better. And like I said, I don't always handle things well. I can go over a threshold and I can snap at people and I can respond to things in a way that's not always great, even towards people that I really love and care about. But the way I handle my behavior afterwards is different now. Like instead of just ignoring my reaction and pretending it didn't happen and not accepting accountability, I'm more likely to be like, I'm sorry that I did this. Um, it was because I was feeling really frustrated and stressed about these things and I took it out on you and I lashed out in a way that was not acceptable or productive. And 
in turn, it's allowed me to, like, better my relationships with people because I'm able to, like, tell them, like, I, I was feeling like this and this is why I responded to you this way and I'm, for that, I am sorry. Like, I let my emotions get the better of me and I'm more able to handle that. And it, it kind of goes hand in hand with me holding myself accountable for the way that I used to train and handle horses. I'm able to address what I was able to do because I have learned more and I've grown more and I don't view it as a weakness to point out things that I did wrong. In fact, I now view it as a strength because the more able you are to hold yourself accountable, the less power people have when they're trying to like bully you or harass you or make fun of you for things or try to be like, say like, oh, you're a shitty rider, a shitty trainer. You did this, this and this and like ruined this horse or did this, whatever. It's like if you can hold yourself accountable people don't really have very much to do to, to try to, like, poke you and, like, harass you about, you know? Like, I don't know, like, even with, like, the George stuff, like, yeah, maybe there's stuff we could have done better, but we were doing the best we could in that circumstance, and I don't really have any regrets because, honestly, with a four-year-old horse, like, jumping the gun and euthanizing when it could be something treatable and when the vet's telling you it could be treatable and that they could make a comeback to at least be pasture sound. With a horse that young, it is worth trying. And if I had just jumped the gun and euthanized him, then I could have potentially been met with the guilt of finding later in his necropsy that it was something that he could have been saved from. And then that would be a horrendous level of guilt that I would never be able to let go of. Uh, so you can't really win. And also for people online who are getting like a fraction of what's actually going on only based off of what I choose to share and how they choose to perceive what I share. It's very easy to judge. It's very easy to judge people's decisions when you literally don't know what the fuck is going on. And people who already didn't like me, they were frothing at the mouth for any reason to try to like shame me and be nasty to me like they were waiting for something like this to happen they were like it was like yeah their fucking dream come true that something terrible was happening to me and that they could weaponize it to hurt, hurt me even more because for whatever reason they don't like me um and like that type of mindset too like when I was being the meanest to horses and when I was the most confrontational and reactive and defensive and not feeling good about myself, I was way more likely to engage in like hate following people that I didn't like and just talking so much more shit and gossiping and like being like unkind and engaging in really toxic behaviors that allowed me to have like an outlet for how I was feeling about myself, but it wasn't a healthy one. And I can understand the underlying motivation of why these people behave the way they do, even if I would never take it to that level. Like, I can't imagine, no matter how much I dislike someone, shaming them for, like, the death of an animal when it's clearly something that they didn't actually cause and when it's just, like, unfortunate. Um, but yeah, so... I, like, basically, I guess the point in this podcast is that I think there's a very positive correlation between, like, mental health improvement and, as well as improvement mentally for your horse, when you take a more empathetic approach to things and look at things from a behavioral modification perspective where you're addressing the underlying causes and wanting to know why your animal does certain things rather than just assuming why they do it and getting mad at them or taking it extremely personally when your animal doesn't do what you want and going, like, fuck you, horse, I'm so mad at you because you're not listening to me and doing what I want. When you start to view them as an individual with their own reasons of doing things and once you study like like horses actual cognitive ability and realize how intelligent they really are and once you start giving them the chance to problem solve and communicate with you it changes everything. Like like 
one of the things that I really struggle with, honestly, I've mentioned this in a different podcast, so I'm not going to go into as much detail with it, but, like, comparing, like, Banksy to, like, Milo at the same age, that's a a real sore spot for me. Like, honestly, I'm tearing up as I say this, Um, because, like, even now, like, I find Banksy so much more enjoyable to work with than Milo, and I feel really guilty about that because I've had Milo longer, um, and... Um, and like, it just makes me feel bad because I just feel like a bad person that I enjoy working with my youngster more than him. And, um, it's a sore spot for me because like Banksy's response to things is so much different than Milo. Like he doesn't, he's not suspicious or afraid of people. Like even when he's scared, it's a lot easier to get him to deal with things and like trust you. He's way quieter. He loves being groomed way more than Milo. He's more cuddly. He's more sweet. And he's way more engaged in training and likes it and is not as, like, cautious and, like, suspicious of people. Um, But with that said, Milo was starved almost to death during a very, very, very critical learning and growth period. Um, And that has resulted in some trauma and behaviors that I don't know if they'll ever, like, be fully gone. Like, I don't think that he's ever going to forget what happened to him as a youngster because it was in such a critical learning period, whereas Banksy has had way more stability in comparison and way more kindness. He's never, ever known what it's like to go hungry. He's never, ever known what it's like for to get, like, treat mistreated or abused or mishandled and, like, and punished, really. Like, he, like, if, like, at most, like, if, like, if anyone, like, swatted at him or hit him, I would be defending him and, like, protecting him. Whereas for Milo, I kind of dropped the ball sometimes where I would go to trainers or clinicians and they would want me to be too rough for him and it wouldn't always sit with me well Um, but depending on the clinician and what they were asking me to do, I would do it anyways because I was there to learn and I've literally had clinicians be like, why are you here if you're not going to listen to me? Um, and I wasn't as confident in myself to say no. So I made a lot more mistakes with him and that in addition to his early start in life being so traumatic has shaped certain things where he's like way more suspicious. But like with that said, Milo is the type of horse that like in the wild, he would probably survive, especially now that his feet aren't fucked because of his suspicion, he would keep himself safer. He's one that, like, if he were to, like, ever get loose anywhere, like, I honestly trust his ability to not get, like, hung up in a fence or do something silly where he gets curious and is, like, pawing at something dangerous and gets hung up in it as a result. He's going to keep himself safer and protect himself because of his past experiences and the type of horse he is. It actually does serve him as a horse and a flight animal to behave in the manner he does. And honestly, also with him, you, like, not that anyone would want to, but, like, good luck stealing that horse if you ever try, because he's not going to get in a trailer with you. He probably wouldn't even let some rando halter him, because he's so adept at reading people's intentions. Like, it's to the point where if I have, like, a syringe in my pocket, or if I'm planning on deworming him, or if I have some type of underlying motive that isn't something he'd enjoy, even when I'm, like, several meters away, he knows, and he knows exactly what's happening, and he's, like, suspicious and all worried already, um, and he's, he's very good with, like, medical stuff, and he'll let me do it, but, like, he definitely knows what's up before, like, I've even, like, made any movements to show him what I'm doing, like, he's very, very good at reading people, and he also lacks trust of people that he doesn't know, so he's suspicious, but again, it serves him, so I can't really fault him for that, but, it does make him 
harder to work with than Banksy and a little less enjoyable to work with because he's much more finicky. He gets frustrated easier. He's um, more likely to get upset by things. He's not, like, he's not particularly spooky. Like, he's honestly very brave because he internalizes a lot of his anxiety. But in internalizing it, if he starts to go over threshold, his way of handling it is kind of, like, nipping at people or just kind of getting a little flustered and taking it out on the people. Not that he, like, kicks anyone or, like, actually bites down. But he just gets, like, nippy and, like, a little bit, like, overstimulated and frantic. Um, and it's less enjoyable to work with than my lovely baby who doesn't do that and doesn't get nippy like Banksy is like the least mouthy horse I have by far um not that the others are particularly mouthy anyways but like he does not bite like I would let him like nuzzle my ear and my neck and my face um and even when you're grooming him like sometimes he'll do the little nippy nip like when horses are grooming each other but that's not like out of meanness and he does it so gently um even with like like I don't know once people watch the Shauna clinic there's one there's a part where we're doing A to B's which is sending him from me to her or her to me vice versa um and when he is not supposed to be interacting with her, she, like, deactivates and, like, shuts down where she's, like, has her head down and basically looks like she's powered off like a robot. And she does that at one point when we're first practicing the A to Bs. And he very gently reaches out with his front foot and just taps her leg or tries to um, very gently, like, not to, like, hit her or hurt her. And this is something that he does with, like, anything that he's trying to investigate like if I put something new in his paddock he puts his foot on it and he like moves it around with his foot or like I one time there was this whole trend with TikTok where people were falling down and just pretending to die in front of their horses I did that and I couldn't do it because he he touched me with his foot like really gently again like he's never hit me hard enough to bruise the only time he's actually struck like that and hit someone fairly hard um was when we were like the vet he and he was very over threshold at that time and we've worked on it since then because he used to be really really bad with vaccines and needles um and he's excellent now but yeah he explores things with his feet and it's very very gentle and I know a lot of people would view these types of things as like bad behavior and they discipline for it but these investigative behaviors are things that I've actually like encouraged in him so he's curious and he wants to learn new things and yes he sometimes needs to be reminded on the best way to investigate things in a polite manner but his curiosity is honestly one of his best traits and it means that like he has certain things that like obviously Milo wouldn't do like I Milo I never have to worry about him kicking striking rearing anything like that um I would trust Milo around like a toddler. Banksy, I would trust around a toddler to an extent, but I'd probably want to pick them up because he's a baby and he doesn't always know. Um, and I would want to be careful. But Milo, I would trust with my nephew 100%. Like he, my nephew could lead him and Milo just knows. Like he, he settles down right down. Like even with like, I'm a little bit jealous of Elijah, my nephew, who's turning two in like June. Um, I'm a little jealous of him because he can, like, literally grab on Milo's nostril spirit style and, like, shove his little fist up there if he really wanted to. And Milo will, like, lower his head and let him. He'll let him touch him all over his face. And he doesn't always like it when, like, adult humans are doing it. But he has this understanding about kids that their intentions are so pure. And he loves kids. Like, he loves babies. Like, if when Elijah starts riding, he's probably going to go on Milo first. Um, and, like, I know people see, like, all these past videos of Milo being way over threshold and like so spirited and crazy and like yes he does like to do that but like 
he's got this innate understanding of children and like their pure intentions and he's so careful like we got a little lead line saddle and we put elijah on him this past winter and he walks so slowly and so carefully when there's a kid on him compared to like a person like or like obviously a kid's still a person but like an adult um and I find it really neat, like, the ability to read intentions and his intelligence. And also, like, honestly, like, one of the reasons why I feel so, like, guilty about, like, stuff that I've done in the past and mistakes that I've made with him is, like, just the level of forgiveness. Because there's been times where I've lost my patience with him in the past and I've been completely unfair to him and I haven't handled things very well. But, like, he for he forgave me for it and he still likes me and he's for... he, like, he is just so forgiving and like I think that's one of the best traits about horses is their level of forgiveness and their empathy and how emotional they are as creatures like we take it for granted largely and I took it for granted for a number of years which is partly why I have so much guilt and yeah like it it like I like I was talking to my therapist about it that, like I guess this is where I'll go into like what she told me that was kind of like a real life changer for me and like renewed my perception of like how I view myself and like my personal traumas but when I was talking to her about the Shauna Karish clinic I was talking about like some stuff that Shauna had said about like her early growing up and some trauma that she'd faced uh as a child that resulted in her going into learned helplessness and she told the entire clinic that she had been like sexually abused as a child I'm only sharing that because she shared it in the clinic so it's not something that she keeps secret um it's part of her journey as a horse person uh she said that it like she went into learned helplessness because of that and then as a child growing up on like a farm she did never rode but she noticed how the horses never wanted to be caught by people and that when they were caught they would just do whatever they were asked and they would go through the motions and recognize that they were they were also in learned helplessness so she said at like age nine or something she vowed to never be the type of person to do that to a horse um to never like she didn't want to learn how to ride them and do stuff with them if that's going to be like what it was because she really resonated with how they felt and understood the degree of stress that it was and why they were responding to like the harsh treatment in the way that they were um and I was talking to my therapist about that and I was like this really resonated with me and it made me like I like I was really like I was tearing up because it made me like emotional because I feel like obviously so sad for Shauna and like any child that has experienced that because it's awful um but yeah it, and I was telling my therapist that and I was like this like really changed like my perspective on like people in all honesty and like also the horses um but my therapist was like talking to me and she was just like well like do you think that when you were a child that you've ever been in learned helplessness and I was like that that kind of like it took me aback like I paused and I thought about it and like behaviorally like I like I was thinking about the definition of learned helplessness and how it's created and like how it happens and um yeah I was like well yeah like by definition I I would have been like when my dad had a stroke and when things were like wildly out of my control and I just had to like watch stressful things unfold in front of me or like with my brother who is struggling with a heroin addiction um you feel helpless in that situation and you just learn to like cope with it and live within what is a terrible situation that you feel helpless to change and that you have no control over so I was like yeah like I I do think that I have been and then my therapist was like do you think that's why this like what like Shauna said 
resonated with you so much and why you feel like so much shame to what you like to what you did to horses in the past because you know how it feels and I was like well yes like I had never thought about it like that and then she went on to be like yeah like like as a child like when you reacted to things and you were like over threshold like you were just reacting the only way you knew how because you were out of your window of tolerance basically all of the time and were also largely in a learned helpless state and the horses served like as a means of like establishing some level of control and I think that that's why it became so reinforcing to be rougher with them and to discipline them and to feel powerful and in control of them even as a kid. First of all because it was what I was taught to do and secondly because I was constantly out of my window of tolerance and reacting to stress and again not handling it as well as I could have and it meant that like I was way more likely to behave reactively like it would take like a little thing to set me off and I just feel like really irritated by it and it would kind of like yeah snap where you just snap at people and I would snap at my family way more I'd snap at my mom way more I'd be way less patient with my horses and I'd lose patience way quicker and yeah seeing it from that perspective like the way my therapist brought it up I'd literally never even considered that um and I'm really thankful for Shauna and like her way of being and her honesty and how she, how she teaches and shares things with people because that was something that really resonated with me and it resulted in me having like a pretty big breakthrough with my therapist that has led to me feeling a lot better about things um and like a lot more hopeful and like I feel like I have more of a direction now because like I was like really like it's been I've been swamped and like really busy with work and like for the past few years like I've been going 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 nonstop, trying to like establish my business and get things done and set myself up for success that will hopefully eventually lead me to being able to own my own property which is my ultimate dream um and it's been really hard and it's been really stressful and I felt overwhelmed especially this past winter there's been a lot of stuff going on um and I was just always tired and I was lacking motivation and I was feeling burnt out and I was having a hard time like having like actually wanting to work with my own horses and doing anything other than like the clients that I had to do because I was just so overwhelmed all the time and it was hard to keep up with things and in all honesty it still is hard um I have a bunch of unanswered emails uh regarding like a blog post that I want to write about like underprivileged equestrians or minority equestrians and people that are discriminated against in the horse world I have a bunch of people who've sent me lovely emails about their experience and I have not answered any of them and it's not due to like me not caring or being mean and I want to reiterate this anyone who contacts me if I never if I don't get back to you um if it's something important, please message me again. But if I don't get back to you, it is not because I don't care. It's not because I'm being rude. It's because I'm really overwhelmed and I'm focusing on like what I have to do in my immediate life. Um, and it can, yeah, it can get really overwhelming because honestly, like within a matter of days, I'll have like hundreds of like emails and DMs and stuff to go through. And when I'm dealing with other stuff, it's just like a lot. So I've been feeling really burnt out. And then like after this weekend and after talking to my therapist, I felt like invigorated, like ho hopeful and feeling really good about the direction that I'm heading in. Cause also seeing how Shauna works with horses, I realized it's not so dissimilar to me because I, I like, I felt like I don't really belong in any aspect 
aspect of the horse world because I don't like I'm not a purely positive reinforcement trainer. I wouldn't call myself purely positive. Um, I still do get negative horses that are trained using negative reinforcement. And a lot of the riding I do is using negative reinforcement, especially on client horses. However, I've started using positive reinforcement to enrich and benefit their lives. Um, and also the manner in which I use negative reinforcement has softened immensely and my timing also, at least in part, thanks to positive reinforcement, has gotten much, much better. Um, and Shauna talking about, like, her experience working with, like, BZ Madden's horses and using positive reinforcement with them and how it benefited their lives even outside, like, completely outside of her positive reinforcement work with them. Like she said, she started off working with BZ Madden's horses where she, they gave her eight horses and she was just working with them in their stalls targeting. She never went in the arena. She never did any riding with them. She was not at all involved in BZ's schooling of them. And BZ had told her that all, every single horse that she had worked with in the stall just on targeting, like nothing to do with riding, every single horse had improved in their performance because of it. And I found that really, really interesting because the targeting in the stall is completely separate from the arena, but obviously like giving horses that autonomy and using rewards-based methods starts to shift their mindset and create positive emotions that then translate into riding. So that made me feel really good about what I've been doing with horses because I really try not to stress them out. I try not to send them over the threshold and I try to help them cope with their stress and let go of it if I get in really stressed horses. Um, but obviously, like, when I don't own the horses and when I have, like, a time constraint, there are certain limitations to my ability to help them. And also, like, if the, tr it, like, most people that take their horses back are going to continue using negative reinforcement and maybe, like, positive reinforcement here or there. Um, but hearing, like, her talk about what she's done and, like, the people that she works with that still, like, they produce, like, competition horses and they use a lot of negative reinforcement um, and just hearing her take on it and, like, how she perceives it and her attitude towards people, it made me feel way better about myself because I was like, okay, like, we're not so different. I'm on the right track with what I'm doing. And there's ways to utilize negative reinforcement in a more ethical way and also enrich the lives of horses, even in traditional training programs, using positive reinforcement. And that made me feel really good about myself and also seeing, like, the way she handles horses um, not being so far off what I do and also, like, the stuff that she talked to, told me about Banksy and, like, the compliments she gave us and just, like, she's just honestly, like, such a lovely person. Um, just all of that, like, it made me feel enriched and invigorated and ready to kind of start, um, like, or continue doing what I'm doing and, like, developing new ideas and ways to train things and just feeling really good about what I did because also, like, she talked a lot about, like, um, using positive reinforcement to teach ridden aids and it further clarified like you can like she said she teaches all of her horses using the same types of cues that they would be using if they're in a traditional riding program so that if they were to ever get ridden by someone like that or if they ever go to a new home that they're all set up and prepared to respond to all of those cues but she trains them using positive reinforcement and that kind of reiterated like what I want to do with Banksy and like what I'm trying to do with my own horses um, and like, hearing her success with it and, like, the horses she's trained and how they eventually were able to build duration to the point where they could go through an entire ride with a rider who's, like, a traditional rider and they were excellent. They were better behaved than, like, the vast majority of other horses and were successful and enjoyed their jobs more. Um, learning about, like, the brain pathways and, like, the difference in, like, chemical release versus like negative reinforcement versus positive reinforcement and how that impacts the horse's overall perception of training and things and how it can become reinforcing just to do a behavior 
that has been built through a reward-based method and has built duration using that, that just doing the behavior can becomes reinforcing to the horse. So it kind of clarified like my stance on things and showed me that I'm on the right track. And it made me feel a lot better about like what I'm doing and where I'm at in my riding journey that like, that what we're after, like we're not looking to achieve perfection. We're looking to like continue bettering ourselves and bettering the lives of our horses and just, yeah, I guess going at our pace and doing what we can to better ourselves and our horses. And seeing like the level of compassion she shows people even people who aren't necessarily fully on the same page as her and seeing like how she like what she believes and how kind she is and how much judgment she lacks it was very very inspiring so I've talked a lot about Shauna in this and I look I know like I've made so many posts about her the last few days it probably looks like I'm obsessed with her and it is because I am <laughs> like she's honestly if you ever get the chance to go and listen to her speak go she is like well like the like easily the most influential horse trainer I've ever spoken to in my entire life and honestly one of the most amazing kindest best people I've ever been in breathing distance of easily hands down you can't go wrong with listening to her like even if you don't want to do purely positive stuff even if you have never done positive reinforcement go and you will get something out of it if you ever get the opportunity um I'm already planning on having her back out to BC for a clinic because she's not come to Canada yet and I think that she could make a huge difference here and there's a lot of people locally who I think would learn a lot from auditing her clinics so I'm already planning on having her out this way um and I wanted to have her out locally because then I can take my Milo. I didn't want to trailer Milo that far, especially since he's had struggles with ulcers and he's still coming back into work and he's just more sensitive than Banksy is. Um, so I'm excited to be able to take him if, if we have her out again. And I like I, I can't recommend her enough as a clinician. Like it has made a huge difference in my life and it will make a big difference in my training. And it's just kind of set me on the right track once again and kind of like it cured my burnout to a large degree like honestly like before we went to the clinic when I was packing everything I was kind of just like oh my god this is so much work to pack all this shit for two weeks and then to drive there and I hate driving on the highway with horses because I'm so paranoid about people hurting my horses or hitting the trailer and just driving nicely and like I also have like intrusive thoughts about the doors of the trailer opening and like horses falling out or something or a wheel falling off and just like terrible accidents it's very hard for me to do and it's stressful um so when we got closer to the clinic like I was excited to go but I was kind of just like dreading the process of like packing and going and like feeling not very good about things and feeling very very stressed like the drive down there was very very stressful for me um but the drive back was way easier probably because of the calming influence of that entire weekend um, but yeah, I'm so glad that I went. Um, it's definitely worth the cost. Uh, even if you just audit, she literally dedicated like over seven hour days, probably more than eight hour days, including her lunch to talking to people and sharing with people. I do not know any other clinician on this planet, like horse clinician that puts that same amount of time in. You can tell that she's really passionate about it and that she actually genuinely cares. It's not fraudulent. She's not pretending. It's like, clear like she 100% is the exact authentic person and persona that she puts off online and in person like just truly truly an amazing incredible human being 
and I'm very thankful that I had the opportunity to go and I'm very thankful that my mom was able to come audit and that also my boyfriend Jesse came and audited. He audited mostly the first day because the Airbnb we stayed at had like literally children sized beds like we slept on a futon the first night um, and the futon was so short that it was too short for my legs and my legs hang hung off the end and I'm five foot four and he's six two. So the first night that we stayed there wasn't a particularly good sleep. And then we moved to a different bed the second night, which was still a kid-sized bed, and he didn't sleep at all. So the second day of the clinic, he was, like, sleeping in my car all day. Um, but he audited, like, half that day, I think. So he, he got stuff out of it, and I'm excited that that's the first horse clinician that he gets to see because it's going to set him up for way more success, and I can give him the start to horses that I wish that I had. Um, but... Yeah, it was just very inspiring and I'm glad that I went. And my mom came out of it with a lot of knowledge too and more clarity on things because like we're both busy people so I don't have like a whole lot of time to work one-on-one -on -one with my mom in all honesty. And with some positive reinforcement stuff, like I've had difficulty like teaching her with the same amount of clarity. I think it's easier for people to learn um, from people that they're not immediately involved with family-wise because it's just easier to listen and learn and hear someone else say it. Uh, so she's gotten more clarity too on how to like apply positive reinforcement to the horses and also like with our dogs. It gave us a lot of good insight because it's very, like I said, it crosses over multiple species. Um, and yeah, like it was just awesome. And I can't, like, I, I wanted to talk about the mental health component of it because, like, that's something that I've personally noticed and I've talked to other people about it who have mentioned the same thing. Um, and you can't really go wrong. So, like, this is my suggestion to anyone is, like, you can, like, you don't have to, like, if you want to start trying positive reinforcement, you can literally just start off with teaching your horse the target and teaching your horse head away and, like, just the very basic behaviors. And then you can play with it and develop it as you learn more and just, like, have fun with it you don't have to like don't feel pressured to like hit perfection I know some the way some people come across online I've had people say this to me too where they get the impression that I'm anti-pressure and release I'm not I use it I'm anti-bad use of pressure and release especially since I used to use it poorly um but someone like Shauna, like, she's not judging you for not using enough positive reinforcement. Like, she'll help you wherever you are and meet you wherever you are. And I think that's kind of the type of role model that we need. Um, like, she wouldn't probably justify, like, blatant abuse occurring in her clinics, and she wants to discourage people from being mean to horses, of course. But she's not expecting perfection, and neither should you for yourself. Like, making a mistake in training is a mistake. Even if you lose your temper and you take it out on your horse, the act of being able to acknowledge, I lost my temper, that was not good, that was wrong, I need to do better, that sets you apart from people who justify and enable their behavior. So, then you can kind of grow from that and even just being able to catch yourself, even if you can't catch yourself before you make the mistake, being able to catch yourself after and feeling bad about doing it shows that you're becoming a better horse person because in the past you wouldn't have caught yourself or felt bad. Uh, and that's also something my therapist said to me. She said that like you're like now things that you view as vehemently wrong that you would not do. They're things that you would have done in the past and that you would have justified without batting an eye. So that shows a large amount of growth and 
it's not really about error-free learning. Like, obviously, that's the most ideal if you can make it error-free, especially for your animals. If you can set them up for so much success that they don't make mistakes, that's ideal. Um, but it's not realistic to have happen all the time, including for yourself. Like, there's a pretty steep learning curve in horses, and there's so much misinformation being passed around that it is very, very easy to get sucked into mindsets that do not serve you and do not help you as a rider and result in you being less patient and less kind. It's very, very easy to get sucked into that and it is really really hard to pull yourself out of that mindset especially when trainers that promote that mindset are promising quick fixes or are like upper level equestrians that are kind of like showing like oh this is what it takes to get to the top it's very easy to get sucked into that. It's very hard to start to alter and reframe your mindset when you've been taught that and have had it drilled into your head for years. It's a lot harder to reframe that and undo it than it is to just continue going on doing that. So I commend anyone who starts to work on that mindset and who actually starts to be like, okay, there might be a better way of doing this. I need to, like, I need to take a minute. I need to take a deep breath. I need to have more patience. I shouldn't keep handling things this way. I being able to catch yourself and to start to undo that mindset is a win in itself. And I wanted to make this podcast because I think that there's a lot of emphasis from people that promote horse welfare to like never do anything wrong. And obviously like when you're talking about welfare, it's good to just say like, yeah, this is bad because of this, this, and this and show people alternative ways of doing things. Um, But with that said, like if you make mistakes that may impact your horse, You're not a bad person if you're acknowledging those mistakes and actively trying to fix them. And even in, like, the case of me as, like, a kid with what I did with my horses, I wasn't a bad person. I was just having bad role models and I was reacting with the amount of knowledge that I had and with the skill set that I had. And I think that's something that people need to understand is, like, especially as a child, it's very easy to get sucked into certain mindsets and to have them stick with you into adulthood. And undoing that takes a lot of work and a lot of concerted effort and holding yourself accountable. So kudos to anyone who has done that. And I'm giving myself a pat on on the back for doing that because I could have just stayed doing what I was doing um, and denied science and ignored the behaviors that my horses were showing me that were like, hey, like, we're stressed, like, please listen to us. I could have just continued going on the path that I was going down and I made the concerted effort to not do that and to like start working on bettering my horsemanship for the benefit of my horses and I think that is something that I deserve to be proud of and I think it's something that anyone deserves to be proud of like just the trying to alter your horsemanship in a world where a lot of people do not support it especially the idea of positive reinforcement and hand feeding treats stepping into that when people will mock you and make fun of you for it or tell you that it doesn't work. It's pretty hard to do and it takes a lot of willpower, especially when you're trying to undo all of these problem behaviors that you've learned as a result. And I think people need to acknowledge like how difficult that is and be proud of themselves for trying because it is hard to go against the status quo and it is really hard to admit where you might have gone wrong and negatively impacted your horse. But Honestly, like, everyone has done it to some extent, probably, especially if you learned from traditional horse trainers. 
um, the best we can do is continue to better ourselves and try to reform the horse world to be better and to try to set other new riders up for success so that they can find credible trainers that will teach them kind methods and help facilitate their education as a rider by teaching them accurate information and helping them learn and grow without the same level of toxicity and punishment. Because what I will leave this podcast at is that I think that the punishment and like very harsh negative reinforcement style of training that's all about shortcuts and like making the horse do what you want to do and not letting them win and like showing them who's boss I think that that also translates into how they treat people so a lot of those trainers aren't generally as nice to their students and it results in a way more judgmental rigid and stressful environment that lacks patience and that also is like more likely to see like mockery and like bullying and like cruelty of that sort um and that's what I saw like I like it like the most toxic barns that I've been at were show barns um by far and the what if you even just moving to barns where people are pleasure riders I've noticed a huge change in like how you're treated because they're all way more chill even if none of them do positive reinforcement but like seeing the huge difference in like general treatment and like kindness and like just the empathy towards horses and people like at this clinic it was very eye-opening to me and it reiterated the fact that like I think that the way we train horses and what we normalize in mistreatment of horses it starts to translate over into how people are treated and and um, it, I think that's the reason behind so much of the toxic mentalities in the horse world, in all honesty. Like, they're, like it's very common to hear toxic stories of, like, training barns and people being bullied at, like, lesson barns or trainers being unkind to students, like, fat shaming students, making fun of students, like, mocking them in front of entire group lessons, getting mad at them. The whole notion of, like, like tough love type thing where they're like, oh, you need a trainer to be unkind to you so that you can learn. Um, it's created this mindset that there's only the option of being overly harsh and mean and coddling. That's kind of how people view it. They view it as like any type of kindness is coddling. And like what, before George Morris had his big downfall, people would like really justify his method and be like, oh, he's just honest and blunt. And if you want to learn, like, this is the way it needs to be done. And it's like, no, he could teach everything he was teaching without being a dick to people and without publicly mocking them at clinics and fat shaming women in front of entire audiences. He never needed to do that. He could have gotten the exact same concepts across without being an asshole, Um, but he just is an asshole. Um, And I think that we need to start shifting that mindset. Like, you don't need to be mean and abusive to students for them to learn. You can be honest about their faults with them while being constructive. Like, it's not it's not constructive to berate someone about everything that they're doing wrong and be like, oh, you suck. You're so bad. Like you need to learn how to ride better. This is ridiculous. You know better. Get it together. You, you don't need to be like that. You could be like, okay, like these are some stuff, things that you're struggling with here, your challenges. We're going to work on them together and look for improvement. And I think that's what kind of people need to do, especially when you're feeling bad about yourself or your horse's training. Look back at where you started from. Look back at your mindset and the stuff you used to justify and how you used to feel about things, how you might have used to even treat people. Look back at all of that and be proud of any improvements that you've made and don't let other people take that away from you because your learning journey is your own and it's not up to anyone else to say whether or not it's valid. Like everyone has a different timeline. Everyone has weaknesses and strengths and some people may struggle with things that other riders have come easily to them. And it, it, it applies to horses too. Some horses will struggle with things that other horses can learn very easily. It doesn't make the horses learning 
less valid or it doesn't make their emotions less valid. It just means that they struggle with different things. And that in individuality is something that we need to take into account and for ourselves and for horses. Um, yeah, so I guess that's kind of like my update and just some food for thought because I think that the horse world has a lot of toxic mindsets that are normalized in both treatment of horses and treatment of people. And it's something that I am tired of and seeing like the contrast from this clinic to like literally every single other show and clinic I've ever gone to, it was pretty eye-opening. And this isn't to say that every show and clinic I've ever gone to is filled with mean people and all of them sucked. That's not the case, but usually there's at least like a few and there's certain levels of judgment or like unkindness to horses that are normalized and it was just really interesting going into a completely different environment and seeing like how positive and different it was it was really really cool um and I'm for that I'm very appreciative and it has changed my perspective on things so yeah I guess this is just to say like anyone who's struggling with training or feels guilty about the way you, ways you've handled with horse things with horses in the past I've been there and I recognize like I understand the guilt and the shame that goes along with it and I'm sorry if you're going through the same thing, but just try to keep in mind that the fact that you feel guilty or ashamed of certain things now means that your mindset has shifted and you're no longer justifying doing those things, which is a pretty big move. You're holding yourself accountable and you're no longer justifying behaviors that probably once came easily to you, which means you are on the track to improvement. So try to keep that in mind. And then when you do find yourself getting frustrated with your horse, try to be able to catch it before it spirals out of control so that you can catch yourself. You can take a deep breath. You can bring yourself back down and then you can work on something with your horse that is easier that you can both find enjoyment in and end on a more positive note. But if you can start to catch yourself when you're feeling a certain way, and if you can also start to honor the fact that if you are now ashamed or feeling guilty of things that you used to do with horses, it means that you are becoming a more empathetic rider because you're now taking issue with things that you once saw no issue with or things that people have drilled into your head as okay and that you've been taught by the role models in your life. Because all of us started out riding, or most of us started out riding under a trainer of some sort, and a lot of what we learn and, like, what we believe as horse people comes from that. So honor your growth and change and view it as a win if you start to not have things that like if, if things that you did in the past no longer sit right with you honor that because it means that you have changed and grown as a person and I've learned lots over the last several years and it has really changed who I am as a person and like I said I'm not the same person that I was years ago if people go back on my YouTube channel even like a few years ago a lot of my views have shifted at least slightly and it doesn't make me a hypocrite because it means that I'm learning and growing. And that's the other thing is people saying like, oh, well, you used to do this, this and this. So there, that doesn't mean anything. It's like, yeah, I used to do it and I don't anymore because I fucking learned how to do better things. And I'm no longer enabling myself in doing these lazy, unkind things to my horses. It's, it's not hypocrisy to learn and grow with the times. That is just called being a good person who's on a constant path of self-improvement. If you're never learning and growing with the times, there is probably a hint of narcissism and ego involved where you think that you are right about everything and you don't want to self-reflect, which is a big problem. And that, that, that stagnates growth. So, yeah. 
just just view it as a win if you start to look at things that you used to do and be like, you know, I'm not going to condone that anymore. I'm better than that. I've learned and I'm not going to do that anymore. And again, like I'm leaving my YouTube videos up in the past because like that was part of my learning journey as a person and as a writer. And I don't stand for like how stressed I used to make Milo at shows and how I used to handle a lot of his stress behaviors. Like I wasn't as harsh on him as I would have been with my Arab, but like I didn't need to have him being so over threshold at every show and I could have handled his introduction to jumping better and I could have been more patient. Um, but that was part of my journey. And if I had never gotten him, I don't think I would be where I am now. So I'm very thankful for the influence that he had on my horsemanship and how he pushed me to be better by not standing for the treatment that I was giving him. And he was very vocal about his feelings and he really tried to communicate his discomfort with me. And I didn't listen for a very long time, but also like how difficult he was, was ultimately what pushed me into studying equine sciences and wanting to learn more and eventually starting to adopt positive reinforcement and more empathetic training methodologies. He is the push that I needed to get there. So even if I didn't do right by him all the time, I needed him to get to where I am today and because of him I'm bettering the lives of a lot of horses and I'm able to handle them with more kindness, compassion, and patience because of everything that he's taught me and I'm really really thankful for the influence that he has had on my horsemanship and that push because I really needed it. I don't think I would have changed my ways in the same way at all if I hadn't gotten a horse like him that very clearly pointed out to me that there was shortcomings in the use of punishment and negative reinforcement and that it wasn't always successful and that it could make horses more dangerous. That realization is what pushed me to continue bettering my education and to continue learning more and really made me curious about some of the other stuff I'd learned over the years and wondering if that was also perhaps untrue or at least not like the only way because for so many years I'd been told that this is the way horses are trained. They don't learn through food. So learning that they do was very eye-opening and it led me on this massive journey that I'm still on and my horsemanship is always changing. And yeah, it's just, it's been very eye-opening and like Milo has played a huge role in my like my development as an equestrian and I thank him for like how I've been able to bring Banksy along because I wouldn't have been able to handle it in the way I have without Milo teaching me that patience and honestly even more recently like back in 2020 some of you might remember the vlog I posted on um, YouTube about our terrible trail of trail ride on Halloween that also kind of reframed my feelings about horses and really was the push I needed to really start to kind of just like address his hoof issues and some of the behaviors that resulted from his chronic hoof soreness and also like give him the break that he deserved and stop making like his timeline all about like me being able to ride him like that's why like I ended up turning him out for basically all of 2021 um like I I wrote I tried to ride him through the spring but like we were dealing with like issues with not wanting to go forward and like his ulcer treatments and then stifle issues with his locking stifle and his of course his feet so I ended up giving him like almost that entire year off and I turned him out in a field for the whole summer and it helped his hooves so much that I was like this was the right decision and I wished that I had been selfless enough to make that decision earlier but again like it was kind of the push I needed because like that trail ride was so awful and traumatic and I used up so much of his emotional piggy bank to do that 
that I owed him big time and that's also why I'm softening my entire approach with him and trying to do better by him now because he gave me so much on that ride um, and he was so solid despite the fact that he was probably internally freaking out and not okay with it that like I really owe him because the fact that he's willing to put himself to that in that degree of stress for me um, is something that I took for granted for a long time and honestly like even on that trail ride I took for granted like I wish we could have turned around earlier it was on the side of a fucking mountain so we just had to keep going um but the worst part was that like there is this part at the end where it was like a really narrow exit way that was like not meant for horses well it was built for horses but it was like whoever fucking built it has never seen a horse man um and he is very claustrophobic. So asking him to do that for me, like completely spent, like it, it sent him so far over threshold that the entire way back to the trailer, he was jigging and like grinding his teeth and was just so stressed and he couldn't bring himself back down. And I felt so bad because he just put in like three hours on the side of a mountain for me doing like a trail that literally should only be for like experienced endurance riders. And at one point I even had to turn him loose because I had to help my mom with Pogo, who was really young and we were just supposed to be going for a short trail ride it was honestly horrible it was never again um and yeah so I turned Milo loose on the side of a mountain um and he like he's so sure-footed and smart that he just handled it and he did his thing even though he was probably scared he didn't try to go pushing past any of the other horses because I had him at the rear and he just he handled it and he was awesome and, like, the other thing about that trail ride, too, is I think it didn't help with his hoof soreness because it was very rocky terrain. And he didn't go barefoot. He had form of hoof on, but he wore it down so badly that he could probably start to feel the rocks underneath of it. Um, and, yeah, like, it, it, I, it was just a lot to ask of him. And I would, like, I would never in good faith have asked that of him if I'd known it was going to be like that. Like, we wouldn't have done it. It was just a really shitty situation that we were just trying to get them out of and they needed to just keep going so that we could safely get them somewhere else and yeah it was just it was not a good time and like I owe him majorly for that and I really regret it because I do think it set us back quite a bit uh because of how sore it made his feet and also how it kind of it gave him really bad ulcers and fried his brain a little bit so I owed him that long break and now I'm bringing him back slowly uh, for that exact reason, because I just feel really bad about, like, the level of stress that he endured then, and also, um, some of the stress that I normalized over the years of owning him. Like, I, he deserves better, and now, with bringing him back, I'm really trying to make things better for him, while still exercising him enough to help his locking stifle, because it is something that does get worse with less work, because they need the muscles to help support it, um, and he doesn't love it. It scares him when it's, like, sticky and he doesn't like it. So trying to get him back into work and just, like, yeah, really giving him the benefit of the doubt and doing it slowly, which is also why when people are like, oh, what's going on with Milo? Like, what are your show plans this year? Are you going to show him this year? It's like, I don't know. He does not owe me anything, man. He owes me absolutely nothing. I owe him a fuck ton of stuff. Like, he is the reason for my entire career. He's the reason that I've bettered my horsemanship. He's the entire push that like, made me start my own training business, and that gave me the knowledge to start working with difficult horses, and also the compassion to want to fix them, and to view their anxiety as, like, an outward expression of their inner turmoil, and he's behind all of that. Like, I owe him everything in my career. Without him, I would have been nothing, and 
I don't like he does not owe me anything. He really doesn't. So yeah, my entire um like my entire business and like mindset I credit to him largely. And the other thing too is that like I really want that that's why I'm pushing so hard to really establish my business and try to get to the point where it is within the realms of reality to be able to afford the farm property that he deserves and that all my horses deserve or even just be able to rent one that has more turnout and more engaging turnout with like trees hills like that they can go out on and like ideally have enough land to have grass almost year round and just have the space that they deserve because where I live it's very common to just have horses in little paddocks with no turnout because it's so wet it's very hard to keep grass over the winter and even the dry lot that I have them out on now like it's quite large compared to like what other horses have they have a lot of space in comparison to other horses but for me it's still not enough I want to be able to provide more for him and I can recognize the shortcomings and the setup that I have them in but also it's like pretty freaking good for my area and I've been really working on trying to better their lives but my end goal is to be able to give them like the life that they deserve and especially by like the time that Milo's going to be retiring and he's going to be an old fart I want to be in the place where I can offer him like the black beauty style retirement that he deserves where he can just be old and like laying down with his friends under a tree grazing from the grass while he lays down like that final scene of black beauty and that's like something that I'd really like to provide. For, sorry, it makes me emotional. But yeah, that's something that I'd really like to be able to provide for him. And um, like in the current world circumstances with prices inflating and like having all these challenges arise as I get older, it's hard to like maintain the hope of doing that. But I'm working really hard and pressing on because I want to so badly to be able to give my horses that, especially him because he's like being here um, by my side for so long now. Like, this is the, our eighth year together, and, um, I've learned a lot from him, and he has been a huge part of my life and my learning as a horse person and general human. Like, he's taught me a lot of stuff, and yeah, I just want to be able to give back to him in the way that he deserves. So, that's kind of my goal, but yeah, anyways, that's kind of the, this podcast, I guess, and my views on, like, how, your training style may influence your general outlook on life and your mental health. And I encourage people to consider trying some new things and to learn more about behavioral science because I think it may help you in your journey as a person, especially if you're struggling with mental health issues. And obviously that's not the only thing that can be used to address mental health issues because I've also been going to therapy and I've gotten like diagnosed with ADHD and I've gotten like on the right medications and also just become self-aware of like why I have some of the challenges I do, which also has really helped with my mental health. So it's just like a, a piece of the whole puzzle, but it's a pretty big piece and it did help me a lot with like further understanding myself and learning more about that. So I highly recommend to anyone to just kind of consider going deep diving into like behavioral science and seeing how developing more compassion and empathy towards your horses, how it impacts you and your perception of life, uh, because it has been really helpful for me. Uh, so anyways, thank you for listening to this podcast, everyone. And I hope that this was interesting because it was like literally an hour and a half of me just being like, blah, 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 blah. Um, so I appreciate people who like these stream of consciousness podcasts and 
who listen to my podcast, who share them. It means a lot to me. I'm always amazed by the level of support these podcasts get, and I'm really appreciative. Uh, For those of you who are interested in supporting the podcast, I do have a Patreon channel called patreon.com slash sdequus, S-D-E-Q-U-U-S. I post some tutorials on there and behind the scenes stuff, and there's certain training tiers where you can get some training advice, consultations, ask questions, and all that jazz. Um, I highly recommend it. You can start uh, joining for as little as a dollar a month. The videos and stuff are available to tiers like gold and above, but there are still some videos for like the lower tiers. Uh, and the, the money from that just goes towards helping me get stuff for the podcast or for like YouTube and stuff and just general like horse care stuff. So it's just kind of like in addition to my regular job and stuff. If anyone's interested in supporting it, you can go on the Patreon channel and check it out and yeah I appreciate all the support and then also if anyone's interested in my store I have like a merch store which is shopmilestoneequestrian.com and it has a lot of cool horse themed stuff like hats sweaters shirts etc and then I also have like my bridles my neck ropes and saddle pads and hoodies on the amoreequestrian.ca website a-m-o-r-e equestrian.ca that's where you can shop and like pre-order bridles and check out some other stuff I've also done a western bitless bridle that we'll be releasing in the coming weeks that I'm really excited about and I'm excited to show everyone that. I posted a photo on the milestone page of one of the prototypes. We're still making some changes to it, so the end result will be different, but it gives you an idea of what it'll look like. I'm really excited about that. And then, yeah, the neck ropes will be releasing, like, the... I have samples available now if anyone's interested in a leather neck rope. Um, They're rolled leather neck ropes, and I think I only have brown available right now, but uh, the samples are cheap, and they're they're not... They're they're a little bit different than what the finished ones are going to be, because I'm going to make them a little bit thicker and also a little bit longer. Um, But they're adjustable. They have hole punch. They're rolled, and they're fun. Um, and you can use them for like a grab strap too around the neck if you want to. It doesn't just have to be for like bridalist riding, but those are pretty cool. And then I also have like my YouTube channel. Again, if anyone wants to go watch the Shauna vlog, it's up there and you can see her in action. And then I also have like my Instagram, S-D-E-Q-U-U-S and TikTok, same thing. And yeah, if anyone's interested in checking any of that stuff out, you can go there. I also have my website with a resources page, milestoneequestrian.ca, that covers a lot of stuff related to like equine sciences and whatnot. I've not updated it in a little while, so I'm planning on doing that soon and adding some more stuff because I have some good things to add as like my mindset has changed and as I've learned more. Um, But yeah, those are all the places that you can kind of find me and help support me and what I do. And I really appreciate all the support people are willing to give. Also, for anyone who is interested, I've switched my horses over to an entirely forage based diet and they get all their supplements from Mad Barn now. I'm super happy with the results. Their hooves are way healthier. They're way shinier. They're like they already were shiny, but they're even shinier, man. Um, Highly recommend. checking it out, uh, madbarn.com or madbarn.ca if you're Canadian. You can get a discount with my code S-D-E-Q-U-U-S. And yeah, they have great supplements, free shipping to US and Canada for orders over $40. And their prices are very affordable, especially in comparison to other supplement companies. And their general goal is just to create like a supplement that like handles like everything from hooves, joints, coat, etc. So you're not having to buy like 60 different supplements for each little thing. They want like a comprehensive some like whole supplement that handles all sorts of things within the horse for whole nutrition. 
Um, so I really like that about them because they're not really looking to price gouge and oversell stuff. They're looking to just improve equine nutrition at an affordable price and help people with knowledge. They also offer free diet analysis analysis um, for horses. So you can input what your horse is eating and then they can analyze it and say if your horse is missing anything in their diet or if they're deficient or anything. Um, so that's really great. You can check that out as well. Um, yeah, the code for the discount is S-D-E-Q-U-U-S. So yeah, those are where you can find me. I highly recommend the Patreon, especially if you want like specific videos for like introducing positive reinforcement because I do take requests um, and I post all of my links tutorials on there. I do speed some of them up and I do short ones to share on here, but if you want like the in-depth detailed tutorials, all of those are on Patreon. Um, and yeah, I tried to make it affordable. Like the milestone student ones are like, I think $25 a month is like the highest tier. I'll double check. Um, but yeah, so uh, you can check that out and I would really appreciate it. And I also just appreciate your support and sharing this podcast in general. So thank you for listening. This is a longie. Anyways, have a good day and I hope everyone, I wish everyone the best luck in their journey as a horse person. And I hope that this was helpful for some people because, um, it's kind of cathartic and helpful for me to talk about these things and to tell people how I'm feeling and to just, yeah, be honest and open with it because yeah, I spent a lot of years feeling alone in my emotions and not knowing things and not knowing that other people struggled with the same things. So I'm trying to share more so that other people can feel less alone and that they don't have to be in the same position that I was, um, in feeling alone in their journey, uh, as a horse person. So yeah, uh, if you like this podcast, share with your friends, I'd really appreciate it. And yeah, let me know what you think of it. I love hearing people's insights and, um, it's always lovely to talk to you guys. So have a great day and thank you for listening to the Mil Making Milestones podcast.